This is Legal Design Podcast. We are your hosts, Henna Tolvanen and Nina Toivonen. This week we discuss what legal design can be in practice and meet with legal designer Angelica Fleshes from Colombia. Angelica tells us what kind of methods and tools she has successfully used when working on legal design projects with her designer team. We also hear how lawyers can start prototyping their ideas. Angelica encourages other designers to work with lawyers as well. After all, making law better is a team effort. Hi, Angelica, and welcome to the Legal Design Podcast. You are a lawyer and a designer working with many interesting legal design projects. How would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, I'm a lawyer. I'm a designer. I'm the owner of two amazing dogs. And I am the founder of Aptica, which is a service design and a legal service design consultancy agency based in Colombia, uh, which also works in Mexico, Peru, and Chile. Wow. What does the name Haptica mean, or does it have a specific meaning? Yeah, Haptica is the name that you call when you touch something and you feel it. And so as service designers, what we do is we design touch points. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we want to do here is creating the optics of the service. So that's why we we call ourselves uh, Aptica. Mm, I like that. Um, A few things about your background. It's not very common, even inside this legal design bubble we're having, to have both a legal and a design education background. Angelica, how did you end up studying both of these subjects? Did you plan to do both or huh, how it happened? No, I, <laughs> no, I didn't plan it. Uh, I have my, my parents, both they are lawyers. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I grew up with, with this background in my life uh, with books and laws and cases all around my, my house. And I just knew I wanted to, to, to become a, a lawyer. So I went to law school here in Colombia in Los Andes University. And um, when I was almost finishing, like one year almost done, uh, there was a teacher who asked me to design a game to understand a new law. That was a, a, an assignment for all of the class. And for all of us, was weird, but for me was weird, but also excited. So I went home and I tried to find like inspiration and I found a game. The game was Clue, which is a game where you try to find who is the murderer mm. of, the, of, the, of the game, right? And I said, well, in this game, you have to find the murderer. In my game, you have to find uh, who is the corrupt person because it was uh, a law related to that. So I created this game, I designed of the characters, of the little cards, all the situations. And uh, it was huge, the game. Like I created this huge, amazing thing, but I just felt that I was playing with it. Mm. So I came to class and it was so different what I have done. And the professor said, well, Angelica, this is so different. And um, I have a question for you which is, can I take the game to my house? I was like, of course. <laughs> so I gave it to him. And then he said, I have another question. And I was, okay, 
what, what is it? And he said, when are you going to talk to your parents about your wish to become a designer? So that was a tough one. I have to come back to my place and talk to my parents, both lawyers, remember, and said to him, like, to, to them, sorry, but I want to do this. I know that I'm about to become a lawyer, but I feel this in my blood. And uh, please let me do this. And my father was like, no, 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 this is not going to happen. My mom said, if, if you really feel this is your call, I'm not going to stop you. So do it. And in my university, you have the chance to do both degrees mm -hmm. while you are still paying one. So that happened. And when I finished law, I have to still paying the other one mm -hmm. but my father was so upset so he said you have to do something else related to law so I did like a minor in um, contractual law so when I was doing design I was still studying law <laughs> so yeah. that was really weird it took me eight years to do all that and uh, I'm going to be honest with you I just felt that it was like my mothership calling me. Mm. I wanted to put all the law in a box and saying goodbye to that. <laughs> but then when I was uh, working as a designer, I realized that I could combine them. I found a way and that's how I realized that I could do legal design. Do you still have the game? <laughs> the teacher has it. He took it. <laughs> it. It sounds so cool. I love Clue. Yes, I guess it, it, it's in use if he, if he still has it. Um, we would like to deep dive into one of your legal design projects and hear more profoundly about it. Um, there might be listeners who have not yet participated in a legal design uh, case project or are not aware what legal design actually is in practice. So we would be very interested to hear from your practical experiences. Is there a legal design project you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, I really would like to share with you uh, a case that hasn't been uh, really out there. Mm -hmm. um, it is a case that is based in Peru. And we received a call like three years ago uh, from a public entity. The name is Osiptel. And what they do is they, they create these guidelines for the communication system, like for all the companies that sell uh, phones and all that services related to um, mobile services, that kind of stuff. So they are the ones, like this Ossiptel entity, they are the ones who decide how should the service be provided. And also they said, how the contract uh, should be um, defined, what will be the guideline for that contract. So uh, there's a person, the name is uh, Nancy Espinosa. And she actually, she was like the only woman in that group, which I love. Like mm -hmm. she was like, I don't love that she's the only woman, but she was the woman who said, mm -hmm. let's change this. And uh, she called me and she said, I feel that there is a problem with our guidelines and the user is having problems with their contracts. And we are having a lot of problems with their 
with their complaints. So we want you to come to Peru and help us to redesign those guidelines and teach us how to do it. Mm. But you only have one week. So mm. uh, these projects could take months. So I invited somebody from my team. That person is Maria Camila Venegas. And the, the two of us, we went to, to Peru for one week. First mm. day, it was to diagnose the, the, the guideline and some of the contracts for those companies. To do that, we did some research and um, we applied some tools and uh, we realized that there were like a lot of problems and a lot of gaps uh, related to content, related to what the user really needed in those documents. Then um, we created some files to include the different problems and the different um, profiles of users that Peru uh, has, right? And then we lead some co-creation sessions and we, we taught them how to lead them. Uh, and we redesign those contracts. And after we design those contracts, we abstract uh, the DNA of the best contract mm. ever to define the perfect guideline. And we created some prototypes on the final day with them. And we invited some Peruvian people mm. to uh, create like speed dating session. So mm. there were people on the other side of the table and then this side were people from Opsiptel showing the prototype. And people were saying, I understand this, I don't understand this, I like this, I don't like this, thanks, next. And we were doing this speed dating with users and people from Opsiptel and they felt like, we own this, we can have this in our hands, let's do these final guidelines. That happened in one week. We said goodbye to Nancy. And <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemics, she sent me a WhatsApp message. And she said, Angelica, there are 2 million contracts right now oh. that have been signed around Peru thanks to your new guidelines. Oh, wow, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about contract design impact, that's, um, that's really amazing. <laughs> uh, we would also be interested to hear more particularly about some of the design methods and tools uh, you used in that project or some other project you can, you can decide. Um, what were the methods and why did you choose to use them? And what kind of results did you get, for example, um, for researching data about the issue or for ideating? Do you have any favorites you usually use? Yes. Well, the, the first one that I, that I always use is interviews because we all have to talk to people, understand their, their story. Like, why are you going to this company, to this mobile company? So that's like a must. But when we are working with documents, we have created a tool, the name in Spanish is Entre Lineas. Mm -hmm. And in English, we can translate it to between the lines. It's like reading between the lines. And uh, it's really simple to use. Uh, it's based with three colors. So we tell the person who is part of the interview to highlight the document. Mm -hmm. With red, everything that you don't understand related to the document. With yellow, everything that you feel that shouldn't be part of the document. 
and with green, everything that you feel that you understand and you feel connected with. Mm. And you do that not only with the user, but also with the lawyer of the user. In this case, they didn't have one, but also with the lawyers of the company, in this case, Ossiptel, mm. which is awesome because people from Ossiptel didn't understand some part of the document. So they highlighted in red. So it's like, so you are sending documents with content that you don't understand to the final user who is not a lawyer like you. Who <laughs> is like, oh yeah. <laughs> so 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 is really simple the tool. Is also like inspired is in some practice that we do as lawyers because we love highlighting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's really easy to uh, categorize the content and say there is a lot of red here and a lot of the users have highlighted this in red, but also the lawyers. So then we realized that for a lot of time, this content have been here and a lot of people haven't understand it. Mm. So there is a chance to translate this. So in, in other phases of the, of the method, we can um, redesign that. So to do that, we have created other tools. The name is what if. So mm -hmm. what if this is a new draw? So this content is something that is a, a drawing. Or what if this is going to be read by your grandmother? So if the user is your grandmother or if the user is a kid. Mm -hmm. So if we change the, the final user to extreme user, they are starting to think, oh, a kid, what is he going to feel connected with? With a um, comic, with a persona who is telling a story, with uh, audio situation. So in that case, like your mind makes some connections mm -hmm. because that's creativity about, and you start to create new content to translate that red part that is not... Um, defined in a way that the user can understand it. And also we have created another tool, the name is Frankenstein, which is yeah. you take um, scissors and you say, let's break it. So the, the, the lawyers at the beginning are like, no, but this is like uh, sacred, you know, like a document, a legal document. It's like, don't worry, it's just paper, take it. And it's like, they, 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 yeah. they start to, to break it and move it and create like this new, new puzzle because mm -hmm. sometimes they realize that the green part is so important for the user, but it's at the end of the document. So like mm -hmm. maybe they want to see it at the beginning. So what happens if the green part is at the beginning when you feel the final resolution or what you have already bought, which is um, the summary of the product, maybe it's at the end. What if it is at the beginning and you understand from the beginning where is the summary of the product? So it's just doing the Frankenstein of the, of the document. Mm. So those are some of my favorite tools. Angelica, you have designed and redesigned legal processes. And from my point of view, it can be hard for lawyers to see their work as a process. And that's why it might be difficult to see how we might do designing work for legal processes. Could you explain to us and our listeners why we should see legal work as processes and would you mind giving an example of a process designing project sure thanks for the question 
because uh, here I, I have the option to tell you our approach to legal design. Um, how I told you at the beginning, Aptica began not as a legal design company. We were service designers at the beginning. And uh, what we do as service designers is we understand every single um, service as a story that comes to life thanks to the touch points, which are people, processes, channels. Um, and uh, you can design that. You can design a process, you can design a channel, you can design a person, you can design how they talk. And uh, related to process, you can, design, you can design a process. And when we are moving to the legal industry, that's a service. And when you are a lawyer, you are providing a service. But the situation here is when you go to law school, they never tell you that. They teach you the law. They teach you how to understand it. They teach you how to apply it. But for me, for example, they never tell me, they never told me, hey, Angelica, you're going to provide a service. And at the other side is going to be a user. And that service could be designed. And you can design the people, the channel, the process, the space, all the touch points that are part of it. One of the touch, the touch points are the processes. And you can design that step-by-step step of the way that you provide that service, which is the process, which is beautiful. For me, it was like that connection that I wasn't like ready to, to embrace when I decided to go to design school. And as I told you, I put that in a box. But when I began to have projects with banks and with insurance companies, and I found that there were like a lot of legal touch points in that experience, because at the beginning, a bank didn't tell me, hey, Angelica, I want you to help me to redesign the legal experience. They said, I want you to redesign the experience of the user. Yeah. And then I found that there were legal processes, legal documents, mm. legal content. And I said, hmm. And of course, the people who, who found me, they weren't the lawyers, were people from the service perspective. And they say, ah, but don't touch that document. Don't touch <laughs> that process. That's from the lawyers. That's the lawyer's problem. It was like, no, no, that's the user problem if we don't do that. Mm. So I said, let's understand that process. No, that's the process where the lawyer had to check all the documents of the user. But that takes like um, 10 months. It was like, <laughs> 10 months for the user to get um, approval. Yeah, but don't worry. 10 months, that's regular. In other bank, it's like one year. It's like, no, no. Let's do something about it. Let's make a connection between marketing, service, and legal. Mm -hmm. And let's understand why this process is taking so long. And then if we go deeper to the legal area, we understand that a lawyer never was trained in redesign a process because we, we didn't go to school to learn that, but we should. One of the process, one of the projects that I'm working right now is uh, with, an, with another public entity and it's a beautiful project. It's not done already, but I just wanted to share with you. Mm -hmm. Imagine this, it's a public entity which work is based on helping young people 
to solve their issues with the law because they are not adults, so it's not a felony, but they are really close to be in a real jail problem, you know? So what happens here is there are like documents that says, that said, sorry, uh, that say how um, those young people should be um, taken care of. And some of the process of, of that situation should be handled. Mm. But those who uh, define those processes are lawyers who are never out on the street taking care of those people. They have no idea mm. about the, the real life, it's, how it exactly. is. Exactly. But still, it's not like that lawyer is a bad person and gives up like every single morning and said, I'm going to damage that people's life. No, no. They don't, need, they don't know how to. But on the other side, there is the, the operation side, right? The, those companies who have to apply that law and uh, feel that disconnection between what the document said and what they have to do. And mm. right now, my company is creating that bridge between the document, the, what the process who, should, 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 should be, and what those companies should apply. And we are designing the, the method to co-create the process between lawyers, the young, mm. and the companies. Uh, Angelica, keep us posted with the project because it sounds so interesting. And as you said, it really touches you. And it's a yeah. great example of what legal design can do to make law better. Hey, uh, let's move on to prototyping in legal design projects, because I'm pretty sure that prototyping might be a little hard for lawyers to understand. Um, when I started to learn about design thinking and the process, I mean design process, prototyping and testing were the parts of the process that were hardest to understand from my lawyer perspective. Traditionally, we have thought that we should only deliver the final forms of the documents or give final statements or answers. And there I was in this service design training with a bunch of Legos and other very unlawyeristic stuff in front of me, and I was to prototype and test. And I think this prototyping might be a little unfamiliar, at least for some of our clients, because my colleague was asked to uh, share the first draft of a document with the client. And at the end of the project, when it was feedback time, their review from the client stated that they delivered unfinished material. <laughs> Reviewing in a lawyer's mind might translate into failure. Um, could you explain why prototyping and testing are important? Okay. I am a teacher and when I teach my students this, con this, this component of the method, the first thing that I say is life is a prototype. So they don't feel that, oh, this is the phase where I fail. No, you are not failing, you are learning. And in your life, this presentation is a prototype and the next one could be better because you learn from the last one. And if you see your life like that, it will be better for you. So that statement said, uh, what I see in the prototype process is the opportunity to learn from the, from the mistake of the project. And if you are not learning anything from your prototype, you are maybe doing something wrong. 
So is the opportunity to be safe and be learning about your project and from the feedback of your user, because you create your project, you materialize it, you make it real, and then you go and validate. And when your user or the company or, or the system um, gives you feedback related to that touch point that you have created, you have to feel amused by the amazing opportunity of learning and moving forward with that touch point. So this is so important because it's a safe space where you can um, create the next version of your project. So I understand why they felt, oh, we failed because it's not finished, but maybe the problem was that not all the stakeholders were aligned with the situation and the method. But when we have all those stakeholders in tuned and aligned with, we, with the situation that we are doing right now, and they know that, for example, a bank, I work a lot with banks, with the bank, mm -hmm. feel that they need to create the better document for them to really understand this new product, this new credit card product. And they feel that they can be part of that document and with their feedback, this document is going to be better. We change that people's perspective of that bank. So what we have here is a communication issue as well. Uh, but prototyping is the opportunity to create um, the improvement of your project in a safe space. Yeah, and what you said about the communication, I think that's the key because we have to also, well, educate is a bad word or it has a bad sound, but we also have to educate our clients that this is a new way of working and it's going to be a little different from also their point of view. Exactly. But when you, when you, when you made them part of the process, um, you are listening their voices and they feel part of that document. When they signed it at the end, it's like, oh, some of my mark is there. So it's beautiful because it's not only the system talking. Now they are part of the system. Exactly. It's more personal because they participated. That makes sense. Um, I know this is a weird question, but do you have any tips on how to prototype? I mean, with the service design classes, we see Legos and other nice stuff like that. But how to do prototyping in legal? Yeah, I, I have worked with a lot of industries, with the finance and health. And I think when you are beginning with, the, with this industry, for example, if you are a designer and you're beginning to work with lawyers, I don't recommend to work with super powerful, different tools, because maybe for them could be like, this is so different. So begin with baby steps. Paper is your best option. Paper prototyping is so easy, post-its. It's like, you have, for example, let's go again with the process. Right now, the process to sign a document is um, five steps. Put the five post-its. What if we change this post-it for another moment? Hmm, that could help. But what if 
You are prototyping right there the idea just with post-its. Uh, we are changing a document. The idea that I told you with the scissors, that's ideation, but also prototyping because we are already moving and creating. Prototyping is also the, 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 um, the act of, of creation, of moving your idea from here to the reality. So when you are cutting the classes of the document and moving them around, you're already prototyping the, the final result of the document. So working with paper, which is more familiar to lawyers, is better when you have new lawyers in this um, methodology. When you have lawyers that are already like um, part of this movement, you can go with different tools. If you are working with the document and you want to maybe work with the what if tool that you want to change a content that is written and move it to a, a draw, there is an amazing tool. The name is AutoDraw. It is for free. And you can, uh, for example, if this is an insurance contract and it's related to vehicles and you want to draw a car, but you are not a really good person doing that, this tool ask you to try to draw a car. Maybe your drawing is really not that good, but the tool tells you maybe you're trying to draw a car because it has this algorithm that tries to identify your, your figure. So this is a really good way to create easy figures. But also there are like a lot of icons around the internet that you can put down and include them. Um, so uh, don't find obstacles in the process just find the tools to make it easier. But if we're not talking about um, documents or processes, we're talking about a new way to attend your client, you can do some uh, role playing. And we are used to do that as lawyers because we went to law school and we work with uh, communication. I remember I do a lot of exercises of that and we created some role playing to defend the client. But let's come back to that and use that to create this new service. And this is our services techniques that I have uh, brought to this legal service design approach. And it has been amazing uh, watching my lawyers doing that and uh, becoming more aware of their body language, their, their faces, how it could be easier for the client connect with them if they smile and that is just role-playing or moving the space like staging. It's not only about you, but also how the, the place looks like. What if the light is different? So let's turn the light off or let's turn the light on. And what if there is a different atmosphere? Let's put something on the wall and project an image there. And what if this is a bakery shop when we attend our client? Let's project that idea on the wall and see what happens. And let's bring a client and how he feels. These are tools related to, to service design that I have brought to the space of legal design. And it has helped me a lot. Great examples. And what I love to hear is that small steps count. So it can be as simple as a smile that makes a difference. And we don't have to build a space rocket we can start prototyping with paper. Just brilliant tips, thanks. Hey, Angelica, it's been great to have you with us. And it has been such a great conversation. And we have loved all your insights and ideas. 
And just because you are a true expert of law and design thinking and know what it requires to combine these two worlds, how would you encourage more designers to work with law and lawyers and help solving legal problems? Well, if you're a lawyer, the first thing that I want you to tell you is uh, that there are like a lot of opportunities in your daily life to apply this method. Like you don't need your boss to tell you, hey, apply legal design. So right now, next email that you're going to send, ask yourself, who is the user? Who is going to read this? How much time does he have? Um, is he going to feel okay with the content? How can I redesign this to make it easier? An email can change people's lives. So you can apply legal design there and you can prototype that. Next time I'm going to send a picture. Next time I'm going to send a diagram. Let's prototype that. So it, ha it has to be huge. You can do a little change in your email and then you can be doing legal design. And if you are a designer, I really feel that you need to work with lawyers and you have to stop being afraid of lawyers. Like I told you, it's not like a warm potato that nobody wants to work with. Because for a lot of time, law is like a box that no one wants to open if, unless you're a lawyer. But now this box is open and these kind of tools are helping you to, to work with the process. And there are a lot of lawyers who want to be part of this movement. If you're a designer, you can be the bridge that connects these lawyers with the final user. You just need to understand um, the way to connect with them. And your tools are part of that process as a designer. So believe in yourself, you can be part of this uh, transformation of the legal services around the world. Thank you, Angelica. Thank you. I really enjoy it. And I am so passionate about this. And I cannot even believe that I'm right now doing this with my company, with my team, without Jorge and Maria Camila and Sofia and all of them. I wouldn't be here. So I didn't want to miss the opportunity also to, to, to name them. Great. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yes, and greetings to your team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Legal Design Podcast. Get to know us at legaldesignpodcast.com.